They are like trees planted by streams of water, bearing fruit in their due season. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. All right, I'm going to start this morning with a hot take. Josiah Bartlett is the greatest president that this country has ever had. Trying to get a read on the room. I will stand on Abraham Lincoln's coffee table in my cowboy boots and say it. How many here know who Josiah Bartlett is? All right, so this is a television show that took place in the late 90s, early aughts called West Wing. And I know I'm supposed to proclaim the gospel this morning, but I'm going to tell you if you haven't seen this television show, you should watch it. Seven seasons. Josiah Bartlett is a moderate Democrat at the center of this show. Uh, Again, it went on for seven seasons. The final season of the show was the election that would replace him after his two terms. And it's an election between a moderate Democrat and a moderate Republican. And the moderate Republican is played by Alan Alda. Um, His name is Vinnick. And the way that the show ends is that the Democrat wins and it continues, the show ends. My hope was that this show, what the the moderate Republican would win and we get a whole new series, right, from that perspective. But it did not end that way. One of the storylines in the, in the television show was the midterm elections when President Bartlett was, re, was running for re-election. And he's running against the governor of Florida who has managed to do a really good job of creating these short, pithy statements that really capture the attention of the, of the electorate. It's really frustrating to President Bartlett because he has a PhD in economics. He loves to get into the weeds of things complexities of governance and policy. And so he really does not enjoy that aspect of running for his position, running for re-election. And so his uh, staff keeps telling him he needs to come up with these short, pithy statements. And it's during the debate between himself and this governor when the governor makes one of these statements. Right? Sort, of, sort of throws out these, one of these little, little bombs. And the president says, there it is. There it is. That's the 10 words that my staff keeps telling me I need to come up with to capture the attention of people. Those are the 10 words. But the question I want to ask is, what are the next 10 words after that? And the next 10 words after that. When you take a platitude, which is really comforting to us, and you ask what it really means in practice. Let's call that applied theology this morning. How do you apply the things that are said? So Jesus is having this encounter with the religious culture, the religious community. And if you look at the text, you're going to see that it's framed. At the beginning, he just got done in an entanglement and an argument with the Sadducees, which were a group of sort of conservative, traditionalist Jews who really felt like it was essential to maybe diminish your tradition and play along to get along. And he'd been in entanglement with them. And then what we read this morning, he's in the midst of a a query from the Pharisees, and the Pharisees were a very conservative religious group 
who were really interested in how the laws of Moses actually got applied to everyday life. So much so that this application to everyday life began to get out of hand. It would just ask every minutia of how this applied to the interactions of your day. And this is where we sort of get the picture of the Pharisees being people who were you know, sort of overly judgmental. It's because they had a real and serious interest in how the law of Moses actually gets played out in your life. What are the 10 words after that? And the 10 words after that? And on we go. Now, I think that platitudes are important. They simplify things for us. They sum things up. And there's not a whole lot of places in the whole arc of scriptures where we get these summations, but we do. Prophet Micah, what does God require of human beings? That you walk humbly with God, you do justice, you love mercy, and you walk humbly with God. Right? Narrows it down. There's a couple places where people come to Jesus like this, asking for a summary statement. What's the greatest law in the law of Moses? And this answer that he gives is not surprising to them. In fact, it was probably very, it was, it was commonly accepted that this was the chief among all of Moses' teachings. But then Jesus does something that I think is important for us to do too. He asks the question, what are the 10 words after that? Love God with your whole being. It's beautiful. But what does it mean? What does it look like when you get up tomorrow morning or the day after that or the day after that for you to have that in your imagination and your consciousness? What does it mean for me to love God with everything that I am? What are the 10 words after that? And even Jesus, what he says is a kind of platitude, love your neighbor as you love yourself. Well, what are the 10 words after that? Right? What does it mean to love yourself and to do it in a way that's healthy and life-giving and not toxic? Can we love ourselves in toxic ways? So it's not that I'm taking issue with what Jesus is saying here. I guess the thing that I'm most dubious about in this exchange is what it says at the end and at the beginning, that they were silenced and that they had no more questions for Jesus after that. My experience of humanity is that that's not how we operate. I mean, even these people who were trying to trap or capture Jesus in something... I'm sure that even if in the moment he just gave them a zinger that just shut them down, that probably they did like you and I do when we're trying to win something, is we turn around and we go with our subgroup and we sort of do a re, we have a reconnoiter, right? What are we going to say to that? And then we come back at him. The hopeful part of me about this story wants to believe that what this is suggesting is that in this instant, Jesus actually changed their minds. And so I think that's, it's important at this point to maybe ask an important question of you and myself. Can you identify the last time you changed your mind about something? Can you think of something that's truly meaningful and hard that either a circumstance occurred or you encountered something or somebody in conversation, or you read a book, 
and you thought to yourself, I need to think and live differently about that thing. I'm dubious about the story. Is that what happened? It doesn't tell us. What I want to invite us to is something that we have been aware of on our journey together at St. Paul's for years. And that is that when we're given spiritual or religious platitudes, we should take comfort in them. We should. But we should also ask, what are the next 10 words? And we should not be afraid of that. We should see our sacred friendship and the way that we gather on a regular basis to be an invitation into those conversations. Because even though platitudes are beautiful, I think the way to truly be like trees that are planted by streams of water that bear their fruit in due season, that we have to do the work of defining what it means to love, who is my neighbor, how do I do that? And so as we are in this season, asking questions about how to strengthen this community and the ways that this community strengthens us, Let's not be afraid to ask the question together. What are the next 10 words? And the next 10 words after that. I say this to us in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit.